Let's open our Bibles together, shall we, this morning? How it pleases me to say such words and to know that you do such things as open your Bibles and follow along to check the Word of God, to be in the Word of God, to confirm the Word of God by your own parallel study. I bring us to Hebrews, the fifth chapter, once again. I wish to read a little larger block this morning as we finish out chapter 5. So let me begin in chapter 5, verse 7, and read to verse 14, the last verse of this chapter. Please follow along as I read. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Would you pray with me this morning in preparation for the word? Lord God, as we bow before you this morning, we do pray for prepared hearts. Your word has told us, and we believe that without the help of God the Holy Spirit to illuminate your word, we would go without understanding. And so we pray, give us understanding. Give us an adherence to the words which we understand, and then put our feet on the path of following those words, O Lord God. And not for ourselves alone do we ask. We ask that you might do this, that we might reflect your glory and your light in this dark world more appropriately, more brightly. Would you make our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven? For you, Lord, not for us. Bless this preacher and bless these hearers of your word that we all may be both hearer and doer. As only you can help, Lord, we pray, cause us, cause us, Lord, make us, Lord, grow up in you. We ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Entitled Chapter 5 of Hebrews, Deliver Us from Ignorance. That particular statement was made about us 
which is the reason why God gave Israel priests, and in particular high priests, that came from among them who was a man like them. Verse 2 of chapter 5 said, so he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. Those words describe all of us in our original condition, ignorant and going astray. The good news is ignorance can be cured. The bad news is stupidities for life. You have to decide, and that's what we're doing this morning. A decision has to be made to follow the Lord and grow in maturity or be stupid and continue on in ignorance, going astray. Most of you have walked with the Lord long enough to realize that those decisions are not just made once a day. They're made often during the day, and in particular on Sundays. The writer is writing in particular to Hebrew Christians. In this chapter, we found that they've been given a strong dose of admonishment. Already, we have covered those four signs of immaturity and of ignorance. And this morning, we turn the corner into hope. And I always like it that God gives hope. God doesn't just give admonishments, punishments, corrections, without showing us a way or a ray of light. We have to remember that sometimes when we're admonished, we can depart from really following the Lord, even in becoming overly depressed, despondent, and discouraged, can we not? Such that rather than go in the right direction, having been admonished, we actually go even further away from the Lord in the doldrums that we heap upon ourselves, perhaps at times saying, I just can't do this, it can't be done. Though that is the right conclusion, alone you can't do this, but with Christ you can do all things. Not everything, all things he said you can do. You can't leap giant buildings in a single bound. That's a comic book, not the Bible. And so we are the realists of the word of God, but the real things he has given us actually allow us greater heights than those of Superman. Christian maturity is a height to attain. And so this morning I bring you to verses 13 and 14, and I will show you the way out of ignorance into enlightenment. The path to maturity here is commended. The path to maturity is commended. Let's look at verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. The path to maturity is now being commended and partly from the negative and then to the positive. The negative, of course, comes first. He says, but everyone who partakes only of milk. Everyone who partakes, meaning everyone who shares in or chooses to participate. Let's make it a little more clear. Everyone who chooses to drink just Milk, that's what the present active participle means. An ongoing situation where the choice is being made by the believer 
is for a singular source of sustenance. Milk. Baby food. I do want to put out there before you that the Bible here does not say that it is wrong to drink milk if that is the appropriate diet for you, but to drink only milk as you walk with the Lord is the problem. So the milk isn't the problem. The growth stage of the person is the problem. If you drink only milk, you find yourself uh, relegated to the condition of a baby, of a babe. And there are results of a milk-only diet. And I think if we're honest and are really evaluating even the part of the Christian church that we are associated with, and that would be the evangelical church. What is the evangelical church? Well, the evangelical church is a group of people who've been saved by Jesus Christ who are certain that the Bible is inerrant in its original form, and it is the sole source for our faith, everything that we believe, and for our practice, everything we do. We are biblicists. We believe that God gave it, that in its original form it is perfect, it is to be translated rightly, and then obeyed, everything we do. We are also people that believe we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, which is also part of the scriptures alone. No other way. So in that group, we would even say that there are those who might make that confession and yet are still in the condition of milk drinkers, of babes. We ask ourselves, how does the church that names Christ as its head fall into so many of the Christian fads that come down the pike to them and insert themselves into the body of thinking and living in the church when so much of it has almost nothing to do with the scripture and some of it is just downright errant? How does it happen? And when I was first going to bring this point across, I was going to list a number of the trends and fads that have come down through, through history and those types of things. I thought maybe of doing the positive thinking movement, but I'm not going to name that now. I was thinking of maybe talking about the prayer of Jabez that swept through the church, but I'm not going to do that now. I thought maybe of the health and wealth movements that sweep through the church, but I'm not going to do that now. And all the many other things that seem to be the newest bright star, the little bright, bright gadget that comes down, uh, the newest thing within the church, and the trends that keep going through it. You know, don't you even wonder how it was that people ever did church without a coffee barista in the lobby? And some of you might say, well, you can't say something bad. My church has a barista in it. And Pastor Fred, there's coffee outside in the lobby of your church. I know this. I don't know how it got there. 
But it appears, and I'm not saying it's necessarily negative, but it is interesting that when one does it, the rest follow along. The monkey see, monkey do kind of thing seems to happen within the church, and things take off, and they, they gain a life of their own, and oftentimes there's more errant things in it than there are accurate things. And I was, as I was thinking on this, I happened to run across an article and uh, the fellow I really don't know that well, I need to check him out so I won't use his name uh, lest you think I think everything he wrote's good because I don't know yet. But he was postulating on Christian fads and why they happen and why it is that even pastors get so involved in them. And I think he had some insight and I'd like to share it. He said he thought that the real root cause of why, why fads spread through the church so quickly, and even that pastors bring them into the churches themselves, is the need for speed in success. To have a successful ministry right away right now, causes them to reach for a gadget, to reach for a gimmick, to have something that they can put in front of the people that will bring more people in or get more people involved so that we can count heads and numbers. We need results now. And so rather than the biblical standards of how this is to take place, something that works is grabbed for. And by works, we mean a pragmatic gimmick or fad that others have tried and they've had people come in. And the sadly, the way in which so much church success is measured is number one, can you guess? Numbers. How many people are sitting in the pews on any given Sunday? And number two, money. You got it, baby. Money. Money. I've looked at the scriptures a lot in my 20 plus years of ministry and I haven't found those as the measurements of the test of any ministry. But I have found the Christian maturity is a test of success in ministry. It takes Longer to have success by preaching expositorily year after year and letting the word of God sink into the people of God and affect the lives of these people. And then it takes years to disciple people. Can I have an amen? You do not raise a child in a year. You do not raise a child in 15 years. You do not raise a child in 35 years. You do not raise a child in 90 years. Completely. It takes time. There is no immediate way to have true Christian maturity in the church as a measure of success without the word of God and discipleship walking hand in hand. Christ-centered, word-centered teaching takes time for the results to sink through God's people and evidence itself. 
milk diets create baby churches who are led astray just as we hear from Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, listen, verse 1. Paul is saying, not by way of supposition, not by way of some sort of uh, expression of what might happen, but rather positively, he says, now the Spirit, so this is God speaking, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, listen, some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the things that they call faith, what is real truth. What is biblical truth? From the Bible as our sole source for faith and practice. And how will they do this? Giving heed to deceiving spirits. So the spirit realm of the demons is out there deceiving. And the doctrines of demons, what demons teach against what God taught. Verse 2, listen to this. Speaking lies in hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And some of the manners and some of the practices that they bring into the church are these. Forbidding to marry. We should be people that are encouraging people to marry. There's only a small group that Paul ever mentioned, say you're gifted to live just serving the Lord your entire life, then you don't marry. But so that you do not burn with passion, get married. They'll say, do not marry. And commanding to abstain from foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who know the truth. How many food fads have we had in the church? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. But somehow those things come into the church. God wants you to be healthy all the time. So eat all these avocados. And then on Thursday of fish. I don't know. I'm just making that up. Somebody's only going to listen to that part of the sermon and they're going to do that. I feel sorry for you. Those types of external. See, you know, fads are this. They're always externally attached. There's something you can do on the outside with no real change coming on the inside. That you can still be a babe and buy the book and do the thing, and you're no more spiritual than you were before. You don't really know anything more about God or his doctrines. But hey, we're doing it. We got the thing going, the new thing. So we're not left behind. The other church is doing the new thing, and we're the old church who does the same old thing. Which, by the way, is the thing we're supposed to do. You getting the theme? It's an old book that applies to every new Christian for the entirety of their life. But you will be led astray by every one of these fads unless discipleship and instruction takes place. Verse 6 of 1 Timothy 4, Paul says to Timothy, if you instruct the brethren in these things, if you do this, if you teach them rightly, even warning them of these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith. See, even ministers need to be nourished in the words of faith, not just milk. 
and, of course, of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. What Paul taught, Timothy's to teach. What Timothy taught, I'm supposed to teach, and we're supposed to all listen. Not just partake of milk. For everyone who partakes only of milk, listen, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. To be unskilled. You know what kind of jobs you get when you're an unskilled laborer? You get the grunt jobs. You get the dumb job. Here, do you know how to operate this? What's that? This is a push broom. You only need one lesson. Well, let me, let me correct it. You only need one good lesson if you listen. I've found people that can't seem to listen to that. My dad was very good at teaching to sweep. I've told you this before. My dad taught us to sweep. I'm telling you what, a good grunt job. In a pattern, you tap twice with each stroke. Push, tap, tap. Push, tap, tap. I still, I heard my dad singing, now I hear him sweeping. It must be Father's Day times two. Skilled or unskilled, clean up this mess. But you don't get to touch anything or build anything because you don't know how. It's kind of like hanging sheetrock, Terry. <laughs> you don't want anybody perfetaping. You need skill to run that thing. Uh, just like in engineering, you want a guy good at math. I'm just saying, if he's designing the bridge that you're going to drive over with your life hanging in the balance. You need someone who can design it with skill. How much more so than in Christian living do we need people who are skilled with the word of righteousness to protect themselves and others from going over the brink? The word of righteousness refers to those uh, that can understand what God requires from his word, knowing what's right or what is just. If you're unskilled in the word of righteousness, then you cannot determine what God really wants. And so you wander rather than following the straight path. And you may wander onto the wide one. It is Paul again in Ephesians chapter 4 who relates to these people. He says, that he wants them to grow up. And he, and he uses it and says it this way. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says that we, and that means all of us, should no longer be children. We should no longer be children. Now listen, pay attention to how he couches this. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. So tossed, you're out of control. Something's tossing you. Carried. Your feet aren't on the ground. Something or someone's moving you, and you're out of control. Kind of the view of a ship with no rudder. The wind is blowing you wherever it's going to blow you, and you have no say over where you're going to end up. You're out of control. So we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, every fad that comes along. We should actually by now be suspicious. If it's a new thing and everybody in the church is doing it, 
and we didn't used to do it, you should probably wonder if it's true. There's an old saying, if it's new, it probably isn't true. And if it's old, it's probably good as gold. Yeah? I made the second part up myself. Carried around by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of man, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful planning. Do you realize there are people out there that are actually trying to trick you? Yes, you might say, I know that. I don't answer my phone. If that phone rings and I don't know that number, I don't pick it up. If I'm online and something pops up on that thing and says they're going to give me something, I know they're not going to give me something. They're trying to take some. But what about in the church? Do we have our ears up for trickery and the cunning craftiness and the deceitful plotting of the men all around us who do not believe that this is the word of God? We need to be even more vigilant there. If you only have milk, you're unskilled in the word of righteousness. And you can tell a baby by what is on their dinner plate, can't you? You can tell a baby by what's on their dinner plate, especially if they don't get a plate. And they get a bottle. I'll tell you what, if you're still sucking on a bottle, people don't take you seriously. You have no influence, and by the way, you shouldn't. If you haven't grown beyond just taking in milk, you really don't have anything to say to anybody. It's time to grow up. So I want to give you this morning hope. Three signs of progressing in maturity. The three signs that you are progressing in maturity. Because don't you wonder that sometimes yourself, right? You're like, I wonder if I'm growing. You know, every kid wants to know if they're growing. Did you know that? There's thousands and thousands of houses with lead marks on door jams. Because kids want to know if they're growing. If there's been a family living in there at any time and it hasn't been covered up by paint yet, you'll find that at some point, little Bobby went up there and they put a book or something on his head and they made a little mark and, and wrote Bobby there and maybe even a date. And then little Bobby can't wait till the next time he can do it again. I think I grow. I think I grew. Come on, come on, see if I grew. And if he did, oh, he grew a half an inch. Oh, boy, Bobby says, I've grown a half an inch. And he wants to know that he's growing. And even the parents want to know if they're growing. If they're not growing since the last, and it's been six months and Bobby hasn't grown, you know where Bobby ends up, right? Bobby ends up at the doctor with his mom, and she's going, why isn't he growing? Well, how much more, again, in the Christian life if there's been no signs of growth in the Christian? What is the doorpost that we can get up? What is the unit of measure that we would use to see if we are progressing in maturity? Here they are, and there are three. And number one, an increase in appetite. An increase in appetite for doctrine, for the teachings of the Bible, i.e. solid food. Listen to how he goes on. But solid food, verse 14 but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. An increased appetite for doctrine, the solid food. We might even call it, by definition, the meat of the word. There are some things in the Bible that are simple and easy to attain. And there's other things that are deeper and harder to determine. 
There are the difficult teachings, the deep questions of faith, all of them under the entire title of the teachings or the doctrines of the faith. Solid food is also used as a metaphor here for not just the meat of the food, but what it takes to, to get the meat in the form where it can be digested. And if you're going to eat solid food, you're going to have to do something that you didn't have to do when you were drinking milk from a bottle. When you're drinking milk from a bottle, you don't have to chew. You swallow everything in there whole. But when it comes time for solid food, you must masticate it. You must chew. You must work on it until it is in a swallowable form to get it down and inculcate it into your body. So it's being used as a metaphor for even meditation or ruminating on the word. There are some things that need that. For instance, Christian ethics. Have you ever opened a book on Christian ethics? Now there's something. Hayden's been working on that for his uh, guns uh, teaching. Christian ethics. That'll set you back in your armchair for a while thinking and opening the word of God to see if these things may be so. And how about the transcendence and the imminence of God? How can we calculate? How can we think on those things? Or in our context, how can we know of the importance of the new great high priest of the order of Melchizedek of whom this author says he has much to say and hard to explain because you become dull of hearing and have come to need milk and not solid food. He is calling them back to listen. He's preparing their hearts. Set up, get tough, we're going to get into this. It almost seemed like he would end here because you're too stupid. You're too ignorant. But as soon as he lays down this chastisement, this admonition, he's going to pick up Melchizedek again. And so I think it's more preparatory. I think he's really saying, you can do this if you just start chewing your food. But you're going to have to think on it. And that's really a sign of, of childhood, isn't it? You know, the palate, the, the taste of, of children is simplistic. Most children like simple food. That's why macaroni and cheese has sold so many boxes. It's simple, it's easy, and it tastes the same every single time. And kids will eat it and eat it and eat it. But if the only thing you eat is macaroni and cheese, that is not considered an adult-type diet. I'm just saying. They tend to love cheese pizza, cheese food, a little hot dog, and they're on their way. You know, I even know an adult. I'm not going to tell you his name. I know an adult who every single meal, every single lunch of his life, he has the same exact thing, a turkey sandwich. A turkey sandwich. I pity the guy's wife. That's it. He will not eat anything else for lunch but a turkey sandwich. That, for me, living with that guy would be a living hell. Only turkey sandwiches. I know another person that I met at one point in my life that every time they go to a restaurant, no matter how fancy the restaurant is or how simple it is, they order the same thing. Fettuccine Alfredo. That's it. 
Like there's nothing else on the menu. Don't even look at a menu. If it's not on the menu, they'll ask. By the way, if you show up at somebody's house and they feed you something on the table and what you want isn't there and you ask for it, do you know what status you are in your maturity, manners-wise? Immature. That one was for free. That's not even my notes. I just happened to think of it. But it's true. Try what's put in front of you. And see, the problem is the church, that too many people just want the same message every single Sunday. Pastor, just give us that old gospel. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead. Believe in Jesus, you shall be saved. Let's sing a little more. And that's all true, but that isn't enough. It cannot be the same message. And even milk is designed to grow babies from the babyhood until their teeth come in. And when their teeth come in, you start giving them solid food. Even Peter commends milk to new Christians in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. He said, to them, as newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He didn't say, and stop drinking and just drink milk your whole life from there. No, he says, listen, and if, you, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The Lord is someone who you should taste his food. It's someone that you should lay into and savor. Listen, I'm going to give you something from the Old Testament. I want, I want you to ask, ask yourself, how does this person talk like this? Listen, Psalm 119.97. The psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Huh? Show me one of those Christian choruses that says that a bunch of times, and I'm buying that one. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all day long. That's what I do. I ruminate on your word. Psalm 119, verse 13. Listen to this. I hate the double-minded. Now, a lot of people can go there. Next phrase, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. What kind of person is this? Psalm 119, 163. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law. And nothing causes them to stumble. That's a mature gate that can step over the obstructions along the way because of a love for the law of God. That means you have to know the law of God. Doesn't this man sound like a connoisseur? You ever been around people who like wine? And I know this is a Baptist church, so I'm really not talking about this, so you can pretend I didn't. You know, people who like wine and will tell you about wine, they start telling you about the nuances. They say, well, when you really you take a glass of wine, you, you just don't drink it right away. You hold it up to the light and you swirl it. You see the light refracting through it. And they'll tell you the various shades that you should be looking for, don't they? 
And then they'll put it up to their nose and they'll get the bouquet like they're smelling a flower, like a rose. And then they will tell you the different hints and the different essences of the wine that is there. And then they will put it into their mouth and they'll swish it around and they don't swallow it. No, not a real wine taster. They don't swallow it. They don't want to ruin their palate. They want to separate all the nuances of the texture, of the tannins, of the bodies. I looked these up on Google last night. In the texture, you might have a description of silk. Of the tannins, you might have a description as leathery. Of the body, you might have a description of polished and firm. Well, it takes a very complex palate to discern all those things that are actually in that wine. Why am I using that? The complexity of savoring that which is given to us by God, particularly in regards to his word, has to be learned. To discern the different flavors, the different textures of God's word, the different styles, the different forms, the different functions, the different purposes. Take the time. Oh, how I love your law. But somebody out there who's, you know, read their Bible and, and might be willing to put up a, an alternate argument might say, well, Pastor Fred, okay, already you've messed up and talked about wine in church, so I'm bringing this up. What about this verse? How about Mark in chapter 10, verse 15, that says, Assuredly, and the, these, are, these are even Jesus. I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter into it. Well, what does that mean? You say you don't want to be child, children all the time. What's he talking about there? It seems to be we're supposed to be like little children. Well, let's remember something, that is, if this is the word of God, and it is, that then God and his person govern it. And God is not a man that he should lie, meaning that when God writes, he does not write contradictions in his word. So this is only an apparent paradox, but not really a problem. It's only a problem if you misinterpret it. Now, let me help with that. You see, the text here that... Uh, we have in Mark 10, 15, does not say to remain as a little child. The text is saying that to receive the, the kingdom as one who has no status or no high rank. We have to understand how they looked at children in their day, and children in the day in which Jesus was talking had no status in the society as a person until they came of age. The child did not have any say about anything, including what went on his plate. <laughs> I went through that in for free. The parents decided. So this is talking about something else in a parallel passage where Jesus says in Matthew 18, and he said, uh, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child. Notice the big word, as. As a little child, you by, will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself 
as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom. Meaning, when you come to God and want in his kingdom, you must not say, well, Lord, look at all the things I've done for you. I am so special that, of course, I should be in your kingdom. He will then say to you, depart from me. I never knew you because that's exactly what they say in Matthew 7. Didn't we prophesy in your name and do miracles and signs and wonders in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You don't get in the kingdom. But if you humble yourself as a child with no status, then you realize that's what he's talking about, not to remain an infant in the way you think and study and live the word of God. And that is confirmed in Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes begin this way. His first sermon in that book, the first thing Jesus said is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Well, does he just mean you shouldn't have any money and we should all give it away to somebody? And if you're thinking that, I think I'm a good candidate. But that's not what it says, so don't do that. It means poor in spirit, not poor in financial resources. Poor in spiritual resources, meaning you have nothing to offer that gets you in the kingdom. That's what it means. And that is even more confirmed later on in Matthew 5, verse 19, where we read about the law and the commandments. Listen to this. Jesus said, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So greatest is the one who comes as a child knowing he offers nothing to get in. And the least is one who doesn't know the law who is ignorant of the law and then teaches that ignorance to others so that they break the law. He's now least in the kingdom of heaven. There is a requirement to know the law. Oh, how I love your law. If you're going to need to know all the law that they had to keep under Moses, you should be glad you weren't born during the time when Israel was the only source for you to go to to get near to God. Because you would need to know the law. You'd have to really go to work. You'd have to memorize these things. Jesus teaches the deep truths in the Sermon on the Mount that ends this way. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. At his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They had had teaching from their scribes. Yet when Jesus taught, he taught them differently. He taught them the deep truth. He didn't give them just the externals like the scribes did. Just do this and you'll be fine. Jesus said, no, when you bring your gift to the altar and they realize that you, your brother has something against you, then leave your gift at the altar. Go be reconciled with your brother and then come back and offer your gift at the altar. That is a deep teaching for deep people who want to be mature. And if you don't get that, you can't grow up and you'll have problems with fellow believers and others in your life. Why are people always fighting? Because they've never learned to be anything but babies. And they'll only eat certain things. Things that they want to eat. 
But you know what I'm glad about you here? That you come here every Sunday and drink from the fire hose. And you get as much as you can and you chew on it during the week and you come back again and you grow and I have seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it work in your lives. I've seen it work in my life. I've seen it work in our lives together. Desiring and developing an appetite for God's word is the first step toward maturity. If we're really going to be a mature church, it's the word of God and then discipleship. You see, discipleship destroys the infantile tastes of a child and demands of them that they try a little bit of everything. It creates connoisseurs. That's why I use the wine and the connoisseur idea. It creates connoisseurs of the scriptures so that you want to taste what he says he tasted. So that you want to see uh, the spectrum of light that he says he saw. So that you want to get the flavor and the complexity from the word of God that they have. I'm done with milk. I don't want any more of that. I need, I want the good stuff. Look at them enjoying themselves. I'm not enjoying myself that they are. And that's maturity. When every new thing that's difficult to you in the word of God excites you. I've never had that before. There's two choices. Well, then I'm going to skip over it. Or I've got to know what that means. I've got to see how that fits together. And then you live a Christianity of wow. Are you living a Christianity of wow? Sure, I'll shake my head, Pastor Fred, because I'm afraid not to, because I don't want to be the only one in church that says I don't have a wow Christianity. Is that one of those fads? No. This is a real deal. The psalmist said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation. Night and day. Why? Because when he looks into it, he sees marvelous things in the word of God. Things that at times confound him. Things that at times overwhelm him. Things that at times undermine what he thought he knew. You see, real maturity says, I don't know everything and I'm willing to have what I think I know challenged by the word of God. By the word of God. That's as far as I'm going to get. I thought I'd get all three points in this Sunday. But I'm a little wound up. So I guess this is what you needed. I'm not going to give you too many big bites. This is the first bite. And there's two more. Two more signs of progressing in maturity that I'll give you next week. But be encouraged. When you get stuck in the word, that's a good sign to just stay there. And keep reading that entire book until you figure it out. That's for free. Let's pray.
Father God, we pray you deliver us from ignorance. Keep us from joining the crowd that would jump on every new path that comes down the pike, Lord. Protect us from those who would deceive us and lead us astray. Help us, Lord, to see your word as the most valuable resource in our lives and that you have given us the word and not only that, but the Holy Spirit to help us in the word and not only that, pastors and teachers to develop us in the word. So let us be of good courage, but let us develop our palate. Let us get a complexity and a desire for the complexity of the flavors that you have in your word so that we might consume it and take delight in your law and in your promises. We ask your help in this, Lord Jesus. And we all join together in saying it. Amen.